Welcome to the PAS Report Weekly Roundup Podcast. The PAS Report provides an honest analysis on the critical issues that matter to you without the biased media filters. Here's your host, Professor Nicholas Giordano. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PAS Report Weekly Roundup Podcast. This is your host, Nick Giordano, and this is an important episode because I want to highlight some of the very, very, very troubling trends that we're seeing within the United States. And one of the most important and profound questions uh, that we have to ask is, are these trends just blips on the radar screen? Are they just a moment in time? Or is there something bigger going on out there, which is concerning to say the least? How do we preserve this system of government that has served us fairly well for the last 230 years? And we need to preserve it against those that are seeking power and control. And what are our responsibilities to this great country? These are some of the questions that we're going to ask within this episode. And as always, if you want to see the show notes, go to PASReport.com, PASReport.com. You'll be able to get the show notes there. Now, a quick note on impeachment. Speaker Pelosi announced that she would be holding a formal impeachment inquiry vote on Thursday. We're going to see where this goes. This is a result of the failed leadership and a flawed impeachment process from the start. Everything should have been done in public from the beginning. I mean, you know, when you're looking at impeachment, it's one of the most divisive tools that we have. It's one of the most dangerous tools that we have. And so when you're using impeachment, you better be damn sure, damn sure that all sides are in agreement. You better be damn sure that the public has access to the information, that the public could see the testimony. Now, I'm not going to speak about the resolution itself because the text of the resolution has not been released. So I cannot read it yet. So I'm going to reserve judgment on that. But the resolution should state that it's going to be a fair process in line with the previous impeachments that happened in the United States, the Nixon, the Clinton, Andrew Johnson, and any of the testimony that was done behind the scenes, all those witnesses should be recalled and it should be public. We should see the transcripts. We should see any evidence. See, we have to go to where it all begins. But I don't know if we could undo the damage that Speaker Pelosi has done that the the idiot Adam Schiff has done by keeping this process from the start secret, from making it political from the start. And that's why I call it a political impeachment. The process has been tainted from the beginning. And I don't know if you could undo that damage. Now, I welcome opening it up to the public. But the fact that Adam Schiff is still going to lead this inquiry tells me nothing's really going to change. He's going to still be a weasel. He's still going to keep testimony behind closed doors. We'll see where it goes. Another thing I want to quickly go over is what took place with uh, ISIS, and and I think that this is an important story. I want to congratulate and thank all the men and women, the brave men and women of our armed services. I mean, they do things that none of us could really imagine. And this was a daring raid, and they were able to kill Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. That's a great victory for the United States. It's a great victory for the world. We should all be cheering this right now. And I can't emphasize that enough. And the important question is, what happens next with ISIS? That's the important question now. Al-Qaeda was an organization that's able to withstand the loss of a leader. They have the clear succession policies, and and they know exactly who is next in line. ISIS was born out of Al-Qaeda, but their structure isn't as clear as Al-Qaeda's is. And al-Baghdadi was the caliphate, and he was the organization's soul. So this is a fairly young organization, and all they have known is al-Baghdadi as their leader. And while I have no illusion that ISIS has been destroyed, they're still going to remain. And they do have a succession policy in place. We actually ended up getting the number two, which tells me that we got good intelligence from the actual raid. What are we going to see within this organization? 
We have reports that Abdullah Kardash is a going to be taking over. He's a former military officer under Saddam Hussein. I don't know much more than that. But is this new leader going to have the command, uh, the loyalty, and the respect of the ISIS fighters? Are we going to start, and hopefully this is what really happens, are we going to start to see many different factions within ISIS start to go to war against each other, maybe some power-hungry individuals, and so they start killing each other? That would be great. I would love to see that. So while we know who the leader is going to be, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But the military victory that we had is important. And we must destroy this ideology. We must make radical Islam as unappealing as possible. We must make the idea of radical Islam a losing proposition. And so I want to go back to what President Trump said when he announced the death of Baghdadi. with him. He died after running into a dead-end tunnel, whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. And he had dragged three of his young children with him. They were led to certain death. He reached the end of the tunnel as our dogs chased him down. He ignited his vest, killing himself and the three children. His body was mutilated by the blast. The tunnel had caved in on it in addition. But test results gave certain immediate and totally positive identification. It was him. He was a sick and depraved man, and now he's gone. Baghdadi was vicious and violent, and he died in a vicious and violent way as a coward running and crying. This raid was impeccable. Now, hearing what the president said, wouldn't it be nice if one day, just one day, we could put politics aside? Just be grateful that something good has happened. Be thankful for the sacrifices all men and women of the Brave Dom services make day in, day out. You would think that this is something that could unite Americans, that we could get past our ideological blinders. But no, unfortunately not. And watching some of the media coverage was absolutely disgusting. The advocacy news media, the pundits on these shows, they should be, some of them need to be ashamed of themselves for how they were providing analysis for this. And instead of them putting aside their hatred for the president, and just stating it was a great day for the troops and the United States and the world, they took the opportunity to bash the president. Now, I'm not saying they have to like the president. We don't have to force anyone to do that. But the fact that they would take the opportunity to bash the president is truly astounding. So I want to play a clip from Chuck Todd, who is one of the biggest morons in the media. As were others, as the president pointed out. Hey, hey, Richard Engel uh, was, when we first these reports came out, he noted that this was actually an area that had been controlled by Al-Qaeda, an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. And you, you, know this, you know this area really well. You know these offshoots really well, who had actually was at war at times with al-Baghdadi. And then now here they are, perhaps was giving him shelter. The indication was perhaps he got turned in, if you will, um, that, that, that this may have been an inside hit by Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Uh, is, that, is there something to that? Yeah. I mean, really... Just give credit where credit is due. My God, you don't even have to thank the president. At least thank the troops. Give the credit where it belongs. And then here's James Winfeld and Mike Morrell. These are two former Obama officials talking about how they don't like the language that the president was using to announce al-Baghdadi's death. Um, the president also said in his remarks that he planned or wanted to release some video of those last few moments of Baghdadi's life that he repeatedly uh, characterized, called him a dog, whimpering, crying. He wanted ISIS's followers to see 
him like that. Margaret, this is Would you advise on. this? This is piling on. This one of the, the one part of the president's remarks that did bother me was this continual piling on of humiliation. A little bit of that is appropriate, but you're sending a signal to uh, some of his followers around the world that could cause them to lash out possibly more harshly in the wake you of this. You don't want a locker room kind of feel to this, right? And that was the one thing we worked really hard on after the bin Laden raid, is don't make those kind of statements because it does inspire other people. I mean, seriously? I'm glad the president humiliated al-Baghdadi. We need to show the followers that this is your fate. You're animals. And so we're going to treat you like animals. You're not going to achieve glory. You're going to die in humiliation. Out of all the things to criticize President Trump on, this is not one of them. I have no qualms about calling al-Baghdadi what he is. He's a monster and he's a coward. And he deserves to burn in the pits of hell. And some of the writings and the headlines were even more disgusting. And by this point, you already know about the Washington Post headline that read, quote, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, austere religious leader, uh, scholar at the helm of the Islamic State, dies at 48. Now, they later changed the headline after being called out of it. But come on. Come on. That's like saying uh, an obituary for Jeffrey Dahmer. Subject matter expert in human anatomy. Ladies man. I mean, who the hell thought up that headline and who allowed it to actually get on and published? A New York Times correspondent, Rukimi Kalamachi. She wrote on Twitter, quote, We are familiar with the atrocities his group carried out and are used to thinking of Baghdadi as a criminal and a thug. No, he was actually a monster, not a criminal and thug. He was evil. I go on. But those who knew him as a teen and as a young man describe him as having a spiritual gift. End quote. The Daily Beast headline read, Donald Trump turns Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi killing into a reality show. A CNN headline reads, The most 41 shocking lines for Donald Trump's Baghdadi announcement. What the hell is wrong with these people? Stop making your coverage revolve around Donald Trump. He doesn't have to be the center at every story. And I could go on and on and play even more clips, some even more disturbing than that with Joe Scarborough and Richard Engel. But even when there's good news, when something happens that could unite us, they find a way to divide us. These people are horrible people. They don't realize how much damage they're doing to this country. They have no problems calling President Trump a traitor, a criminal, someone who's committed treason against the nation. They've called him Putin's lapdog. Yet when it comes to al-Baghdadi, they say we can't humiliate one of the biggest mass murderers in history, where hundreds of thousands of people have died at the hands of ISIS. They say that al-Baghdadi has to be treated with respect so as we don't inflame the tensions and so that it doesn't become a recruiting tool. But sorry, these people would chop off your head if they could. They will burn you alive if they could. They will drown you. They will starve you. And so, no, I don't need to treat these individuals with any type of respect. They're animals. And we should have never given bin Laden a proper Islamic burial. And I hope we don't give al-Baghdadi one. Do these morons truly believe that if President Trump treated al-Baghdadi with respect and give him a proper Islamic burial, if President Trump makes nice statements that ISIS still won't want to kill us, that they're going to wake up and realize, you know, we had it all wrong about the United States. We had it all wrong. We're going to stop our attacks. We're going to stop our hate, our evil. President Obama tried the respectful approach, and I don't criticize him on that. I respect that he did that. It was his decision to make, and he made it, and I don't question it. But guess what? Al-Qaeda still wants to kill us. They still want to attack us. So, no, we don't need to show them respect. And this is part of a problem in the United States where we have these double standards, where we'll treat one president different from another president. And it truly amazes me that we try and oversimplify these arguments. But we're seeing the toll they're taking 
because we're going to switch gears now to something that I've noticed over the last couple of years. And I'm noticing some troubling trends that do need to be called out. They need to be examined. So on Thursday uh, last week, I was reading an article and a study was concluded that more than 60% of Americans agree on restricting speech. 51% want to amend the First Amendment. And 60% between the ages of 21 and 38 say that the Constitution goes too far in allowing hate speech in modern America. And it should be rewritten. 54% said that violators of hate speech should face jail time. I'd be going to jail, I can guarantee you that. But it's disturbing on so many levels, and it coincides with other studies. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Education found that more than 50% of students want to see educational institutions restrict, quote, intolerant opinions. From a Pew Research study, 66% of Americans want social media companies to remove, quote, offensive content from their platforms. At the same time, we see this move towards restricting speech. It's also important to examine other polls because they're all related to each other and they're all part of these troubling trends. Gallup poll shows only 47% of people are extremely proud to be Americans. 61% of those between the ages of 18 to 24 have a positive view of socialism. And 55% of women would rather live in a socialist country. A Washington Post study found that 36% of Americans are not proud of how democracy works in the United States. First of all, newsflash, we're not a democracy. We're a republic. We have democratic principles infused within our republic. A study that was released from the victims of communism. 70% of millennials say they are likely to vote socialist. Only 57% of millennials believe that the Declaration of Independence provides more freedom and equality over the Communist Manifesto. Think about this. Only 57% of millennials believe that the Declaration of Independence provides more freedom and equality over the Communist Manifesto. I wish they would have followed up and asked, have you actually read the Communist Manifesto? I mean, that poll should be 90% choose the Declaration over the Communist Manifesto. One in three millennials have a favorable view of communism. Newsflash. How many communist countries exist today? How many pure communist countries? Well, Cuba and North Korea, China and Vietnam, those are quasi-communists. They have a communist political system, but a capitalist economic system, even though they could take over those economies at any time because they're communist countries. But how many people are trying to illegally sneak into Cuba? Or how many people are trying to illegally sneak into um, North Korea? I mean, do these people even use common sense? Do they use logic? Do they actually think critically for a second? And this is part of the problem that we're seeing. There's a reason that No country uses communism anymore, except for Cuba and North Korea. People don't try and flee to these countries because they're a land of opportunity. They flee to the United States because we're the land of opportunity. When asked who is the biggest threat to world peace, they had five choices. Xi Jinping of China, Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, and Nick Madero, as well as Donald Trump. 27% of millennials selected Donald Trump. 22% selected Kim Jong-un. 15% selected Vladimir Putin, 13% selected Xi Jinping, and 0% selected Nick Madero. Really? Once again, just try to think critically. I mean, first of all, I find it ironic. These are the same people that say that Donald Trump is Vladimir Putin's lapdog. Well, if Donald Trump is Vladimir Putin's lapdog, wouldn't Vladimir Putin be the bigger threat to world stability? But more importantly, how could you even compare Donald Trump to these leaders? These are brutal leaders. 60% of these same people agreed that government should be able to take action against newspapers and TV stations that publish content that is biased, inflammatory, or false. And 46% supported possible jail time for the media outlets. Now, obviously, we're not producing little Einsteins, that's for sure. 
because obviously they're not thinking critically. If they're saying that Donald Trump is the biggest threat, then why would you want to put Donald Trump in charge of the press? I mean, he's the leader of the bureaucracy. The executive branch controls the bureaucracy. So it shows the flaws of even their thinking skills. And then 10%. Now, you always expect 10% of idiots in society. But 10% of millennials believe that President Trump is responsible for more deaths and human rights abuses than Soviet leader Joseph Stalin, who is estimated to have slaughtered between 25 to 60 million people because of him and his policies, and Nazi Germany, Adolf Hitler. How could you even compare and put President Trump in that same category? And so why are we seeing this major shift? Why are these new generations think this way? And we're going to get to the bottom of it. These polls are directly tied to the failures in our education system. And I discussed this on a previous podcast episode. So if you haven't listened to that episode, exploring the collapse of the American education system, I suggest you do. Because the numbers are stunning. And we're seeing these polls as a result of the public school system where only 11% of graduating seniors are proficient in American history. And only 23% of graduating seniors are proficient in government and civics. The younger generations are souring on the American system because they don't know the American system. They don't realize that they hit the lottery just by being in the United States. And I'm not trying to diminish anyone's real-life problems. I'm not trying to say that everyone has it easy. However, if you're living in the United States, you are shielded from the horrors of the world, from the ugliest of the world. You are shielded from the death and destruction and the chaos that exists. You're shielded from the brutal tyrannies. Every day in the United States is not a fight for survival like it is in Syria or Libya or Afghanistan or China or Russia or Venezuela or many other places around the world. Unfortunately, newer generations have been bombarded with negativity and hostility towards the United States. They've been bombarded with false information that America is a horrible country founded on the principles of hate and racism, from Native Americans to African Americans. There are those that like to portray America as an evil country. And they fail to put any of these things in context. What they're trying to do is many of them don't even know our history, and that's why they just get it totally wrong. Others try and apply 21st century standards to people that lived in the past. They present false and misleading arguments like the founding fathers were all racist. And they never tell you that two-thirds of the founding fathers actually didn't have slaves. And they never tell you that slavery was actually abolished in the northern states fairly early on in American history. They'll tell you about Americans committing genocide against Native Americans. What they don't tell you is that some of the Native American tribes got rich because of the United States. They became extremely wealthy while others suffered. They don't tell you that some of the Native American tribes uh, died off because the tribes were at war with each other. They argue that the system is unfair, that you have the 1% versus the 99%. They consistently try and pit blacks against whites, against Hispanics, and vice versa. They consistently push the narrative that all women are treated unfairly and get paid less than men, and that men and women are treated differently. They use simplistic arguments. And they don't present any depth or real evidence to back up their claims. All they want to do is divide America. These are the Saul Alinsky tactics. These are the tactics and rules for radical. You divide and conquer. Think about it this way. Divide Americans. Pit all the classes against each other. Make it as if the system has been corrupted from the beginning. And then they argue to give them power to build a more just and equitable society. But the scary part is that these tactics are working. Showing disdain for the American political system has now become commonplace. The loudest voices, while they're the overwhelming minority, they're the fringe, have now become the dominant voices 
which have given rise to people like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Congresswoman Ilan Omar, Bernie Sanders, the idiot Beto O'Rourke. I mean, just 10 years ago, these people would have been considered fringe players. Many of them would never have even made it into government. And the truth is what has happened is conservatives, Republicans, the blue dog and moderate Democrats, we all said that these people are crazy. Their message will never gain traction. Most of us largely ignored these people because they were so radical that it was almost illogical to think that they could make inroads. That's how crazy they were. But we were wrong. We're seeing the results of what staying silent is all about. These people are gaining steam. Their message is resonating with entire generations who have not been properly educated on the greatness of America, who have not been taught American exceptionalism. Rather, they've been taught that American exceptionalism is taboo and that it doesn't exist. And I'm afraid that too many Americans are now willing to give up freedoms and the liberties that the previous generations fought so hard for. They fought hard to establish and sustain these liberties. The previous generations, they protested. They fought and they died for these liberties. And you have newer generations that sacrifice nothing, saying that what the United States represents isn't worth it. So it appears that the divide and conquer strategy is working. And in Federalist 10, Madison warned us about the faction. And he also warned that there's going to be those that try to divide us along all the lines, especially classes, socioeconomic class. He wrote, quote, But the most common and durable source of factions has been the various and unequal distribution of property. Think about where you've heard that before. Those who hold and those who are without property have ever formed distinct interests in society. Those who are creditors and those who are debtors fall under a like discrimination, a landed interest, a manufacturing interest, a mercantile interest, a moneyed interest, with many lesser interests, grow up of necessity in civilized nations, and divide them into different classes actuated by different sentiments and views. End quote. That's Federalist 10. That's Madison warning us that there are going to be those that want to divide us amongst the different classes so that we'd be in fights with each other. And what we don't realize, because our education system has failed, is that we've heard these arguments before. Everything that's being proposed today, we've heard before. Not only have we heard before, but history is our guide and teaches important lessons for all of us to understand. And history is replete with examples of the same old, stale arguments. More importantly, of the disastrous results that followed. The class warfare gave rise to the Bolsheviks, the rise to the Soviet Union, the rise to the Nazis, who campaigned on socialism, anti-Semitism, anti-capitalism, who reorganized the education system to promote the idea of collectivism. We saw it in Cuba with the rise of Fidel Castro in China with the fall of Chiang Kai-shek. We saw it in Venezuela with the rise of Chavez and in Turkey with the rise of Erdogan. And what happens is they slowly chip away at your liberty. And by the time you realize it, the tyranny has taken hold. Free speech is one of the corners of the foundation of this country, along with the ideas of the right to assemble, freedom of religion, and freedom of press. And when you decide that you're going to break the foundation, when you decide that you're going to remove one of the corners, the entire structure collapses on itself. It can't hold anymore. And the same truths are about this country. As I stated before, I mean, we've seen the results of leaders that were democratically elected only to curb limits on speech and descend into a tyranny. We saw that with Hugo Chavez when he came to Venezuela. He was democratically elected, and then they limited free speech. And from there, they limited the press. Then they took away the rights of guns, and now you have a complete dictatorship. We're seeing the same process in Turkey, where Turkey limits free speech and makes it illegal to speak ill about Erdogan, and then they control the media. And sooner or later, you just have nothing more than an authoritarian government. And the reality is that free speech is difficult. It means you have to listen to opinions that you may not like, that you may disagree with, and that you may find offensive. And free speech includes hate speech. I, do, I, I don't condone hate speech. I don't condone things like racism or bigotry. 
But I would rather racists be open and have free, uh, free speech so that we can mock them, we can ostracize them. And I'm confident that I could debate them on the merits of the issue and actually win. You know, I, I don't like how Donald Trump was booed at the World Series. President Trump, I believe, the office of the presidency. And it happened to President Obama and President Bush, too. But the office of the presidency should be respected. And I don't like the fact they put up signs about impeachment. But I'll defend their right to do it. I think it's dumb. I think it's disrespectful. But I would rather live in a country where people can express how they feel rather than being targeted for what they believe. Too many people don't realize the ramifications of limiting or curbing speech. They don't realize that ultimately it's going to be used against them. Because who are the ones that are going to determine what can be said and what can't be said? Who are the ones to determine what hate speech is or offensive speech? Do you think it's not going to be weaponized by the political parties? I mean, just about every aspect of our government has been weaponized. And with free speech, these morons that say, you know, hate speech, that it fosters more hate, that it fosters more racism. Think about the advances that we have made as a society all because freedom of speech. The idiots that say freedom of speech promotes hate and intolerance, look at the improvements from freeing the slaves to the civil rights protests to end segregation to women protesting, gaining their natural rights. These were because of free speech, not in spite of free speech. While we still have problems, there is less hate today. There is less racism today, less bigotry. There's less misogyny than ever before. The calls for limits on speech have nothing to do with hate or offensiveness. The push is for socialism. And it begins with the loss of free speech, quickly moves to curbing the limits of the free press. And once again, just look at history, because it all ends out the same way. Those in the media who dare to do a negative story on the country's leadership get shut down, and it all falls to a tyranny. Free speech is under attack from all angles. It's a sad state of affairs that we have to even think about censoring thoughts, that we have to watch what we say because of how it may be perceived. We're out of fear that someone may be offended. And I tell my classes that it's my job to ask questions. It's my job to press them. It's my job to bring up arguments that may make them uncomfortable. I explain how I'm going to offend every one of them at some point in this semester. Because that's how the real world works. There are no safe spaces in the real world. And we have a bunch of people out there currently using boycotts, threats of boycotts, to silence opinions they disagree with. Groups like Sleeping Giants. They threaten the advertisers, the conservative platforms. Because they want to silence all those, those that dissent from them. See, it has to do with power and control. Now, thankfully, there are organizations rising up to fight back. And I do want to give a shout out to my friend Rick. He started an organization called Giant Slayers. Now, this organization is perfectly designed to fight back against sleeping giants and censorship. They want to show the advertisers that there is a market out there. That there are those that believe that all voices should be heard. And businesses should be able to be free to advertise on whatever platform they want without any fear of boycotts. And you could follow them on Twitter. They could be found at, at Giant, G-I-A-N-T, Slayers, S-L-Y-E-R-S. No way in there. G-I-A-N-T, S-L-Y-E-R-S. And you can follow Rick at Politic, P-O-L-I-T-I-C-K, underscore Rick, R-I-C-K. This is an organization that's doing great things to fight back against those that want to silence you, those that want to keep us quiet, those that use threats of boycotts in order to get voices shut down. And I don't care if those voices are from the right or the left. Everyone should be free to speak what they want. It's time we fight back. For too long, conservatives and Republicans and moderates and blue dog Democrats, we've been silenced as we've witnessed this rise of this extreme radical left. The assault on some of our basic principles is unprecedented. And by remaining silent, we have allowed the far left to put misinformation, which is now directly influencing entire generations. 
To many of us, we were complacent, thinking that the way of life cannot really be altered. But once again, we're seeing people trying to chip away at the liberties that we have. We have a personal responsibility to protect our ideals and our values. While Democrats and Republicans may agree on the issues, both must be held accountable to uphold the tenets of the American creed. This is bigger than any one political party. What have we done in our own individual lives to make our communities in this country a better place? We're morphing into a society that places all the responsibilities and burdens on government. And we as individuals are no longer involved in civic engagement. We say let others do it. We don't want to take initiative ourselves. See, many previous generations, they made sacrifices to strengthen our country. What's our excuse? And unfortunately, this has forced newer generations to completely disengage from society and the political process. And yeah, we could blame the schools. But if our schools aren't educating our children, then we must be willing to provide that education. We have to do it at home. We can't rely on the education system. It's incumbent on every parent to teach their child what the schools are not. Every parent should be instilling the American values within their children. Every parent should be instilling American exceptionalism within their children. We could recognize the bad that we have done, but we could also highlight the importance of how we've grown as a nation, how great things are that our country has engaged in, the, the greatness of America, and how we not only contributed to the rise of America and American greatness, but we improved the world as well. We are the benign superpower that has made the world a far better place. We should be promoting the idea of the core American liberties, the liberties given to us by God, not by our government. Our government sworn to uphold them, but these were given by God. See, these radical groups are making progress, and we can't allow them to succeed. We need to call them out. We need to fight back against this massive power grab. And while it would certainly be very difficult to amend the First Amendment, these people have been successful in censoring us and making us, forcing us to censor ourselves. They've also change the way our system operates. You know, I, I just want to, I'm going to leave off, and I want to leave off a quote by uh, the first president of the United States, George Washington, who said, quote, if the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. And think about that. Let that marinate in your mind. Let that sink in because we need to fight back. And I want you to share this episode with others and write a review on iTunes or Google Podcasts if you can. Also, don't forget to sign up for the PAS Report newsletter, which just go to PASReport.com. As always, I don't spam. And if there's a topic or an issue that you would like me to focus on, just shoot me an email, podcast at PASReport.com, podcast at PASReport.com. I want to thank you for joining us. I want you to stay safe this Halloween week, and I'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the PAS Report Weekly Roundup Podcast. Podcast. Have a good one. Bye. Be sure to rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also, visit PASReport.com and follow us on Twitter at PAS Report. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, 
Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.